We're going to start in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. It's Jesus speaking, and he says this. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. If you like titles and you've got a notebook, then what I'm going to talk about today is called The Growth Zone. The Growth Zone. And, and there's many reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is that this parable is writing to a culture and a religious climate where people were very, very comfortable. As long as they obeyed what was going on with Roman rule, as long as they worshipped quietly, they could do whatever they wanted. They existed within comfort. And Jesus speaks this parable because his authority is challenged. And the people of God in Jesus' time were so familiar with vineyard metaphors. One of the reasons being in the central synagogue in the middle of Jerusalem, there was a 105 foot tall carving of a grapevine going from the main porch all the way into the sanctuary in the holy place. But the easy thing, I think, so often with the Bible, when we pick it up and we read challenging parables or challenging stories, it's easy to go, ah, oh, they're fools, if only they had seen Jesus in their midst, without actually hearing the challenge for ourselves today. So how comfortable are we? Psychologists say that we exist in what's known as the comfort zone. You would have heard that before. And, it's, and in the comfort zone, it's where you do stuff that you feel comfortable doing. You know, my boss is watching, so prayer and fasting and Bible study are obviously in my comfort zone. Pilgrimage and all that stuff. Serving the poor. All that's in my comfort zone. But also eating, definitely one of my comforts and in my comfort zone. And, and fun, I look for fun wherever I go. And, and Xbox, definitely in my comfort zone. But psychologists also say that outside of that is what's known the panic zone. And for some of you, it might be things like parachuting or getting on the tube at rush hour. Or for me, it's things like getting an email that says from one of my bosses, can we have a chat? Immediately panic. And a new one has been when a teacher greets me at the school gates and says, can we just have a word about your youngest? Uh, suddenly that panic rises up. But the thing is, is what psychologists also say, that between the panic zone and the comfort zone is what's called the growth zone. And it's things that are slightly out of our comfort zone. We have to be pushed, or we have to be pulled, or we have to be challenged so that we can grow in a certain area. For me, not only would it be things like admin, would definitely be in my growth zone, but actually, who am I going to be? What kind of character am I going to be? And psychologists say that the minute we step out of our comfort zone into the stuff that's in our growth zone, 
our world becomes larger because now the panic zone is simply room for growth. So how comfortable are we and how willing are we to grow? The problem was at the time is that the vineyard workers in the parable existed in their comfort zone. They had all their vines neatly in a row. They're enjoying the fruit of the harvest. They say that it's about for each vine will produce, for each 400 vines, they'll produce 4,000 bottles of wine. So they were doing all right. They were financially stable. They had enough for their family. They had enough for their friends, whatever. But then the landowner sends in things and because it's not within their comfort zone, it's immediately panic. It's immediately stress. And they resort to violence. They resort to beating. They resort to rejection. For all of us, we need to grow. We need to be pushed out of our comfort zone so that our worlds become larger. And in this parable, it's pretty obvious, but the man represents God, the vineyard is the people of God, and, and the tenants are the religious leaders of the day. And the principal problem in this story is that they simply got comfortable because of the success of the vineyard. The fruits of their labor they got comfortable with all that success brought them, their favor and all that stuff. And they forgot to acknowledge he who first laid the first seed, he who the land belonged to. The problem is for us today in 2019, it's very easy to get comfortable with our blessings. The fact we have clean water running out of our taps. The fact that most of us have enough money to just to get by. The fact that we're blessed, we have a place of, of privilege, we have position, that we, we are just blessed around. It's so easy to keep it to ourselves, to decide what to do with it rather than giving it back to God. And I became a Christian when I was 16, but um, I became Christian in a, in a house that was way more used to Saturday night raves than Sunday morning praise. And and there was all kinds of chaos at home. There's all kinds of, um, of debt and, and, and violence and all kinds of stuff. And my pastor, a couple of years later, clocked that I was finding it really difficult to marry up my Monday to Saturday experience with my Sunday being at church experience. And so he said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Come over for lunch with, with a couple from the church. I'd love you to meet them. So I went over and they shopped in a cardo and I remember their carpet being lush. So like they, they were doing all right. And we had this lamb roast, and I was like, lamb, so good, isn't it? That's a once-a-year meal, that is. But I was eating with them, and, and at the end of the meal, um, the couple said to me, well, uh, we've got a spare room, and, and we've heard that you're finding it difficult. We'd love you to, to move in for a bit. And I was overwhelmed and um, saw the, the kind of food they had in their fridge and was like, yeah, I'm up for that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I moved in, and, and I was working at the time as a, as a waiter, and I would pay rent, what I kind of thought, they'd never asked me to, but what I kind of thought would be okay rent. And I'd give them some cash in a brown envelope. And, and every morning after the night, I'd pay them cash. It would, it would arrive under my door in my bedroom. And, and they just blessed me. The thing is, is that what they didn't realize is when they invited me in, they were also inviting all my friends in. And at the time, there was a TV program called Lost that was on. And so Sunday night became Lost Night. And also they had a conservatory that I saw was being underutilized. And I'm a musician, so I turned it into a recording studio. And... They didn't realize that this person they'd invited in and the first four months turned into being there for four years and we shared Christmases together, we shared birthdays together. We, I went to concerts with the dad of the household because he was into prog rock and I was up for that and, and the mum would stay up super late at night while I was doing my essays, my first degree, checking over my shoulder for any spelling mistakes and all that stuff. 
The thing is, is they, I, I caused them all kinds of discomfort. I caused them all kinds of disturbance, but yet so many people were blessed from that act. And it didn't stop when I left the house because when I got married shortly after leaving, my wife and I said, well, okay, no matter the cost, we'll always try and find somewhere with a spare room so that anyone who's in need is able to kind of have somewhere to recover, to get, get over whatever they're going through. And so little did those two people know that the act of hospitality that they showed my wife and I ended up meaning that a really great friend of mine, Ashley, had, had months in our house to recover, so that, some of that room to recover. And a girl called Tanya spent a year living with us as she was from a really complex family background. And someone else called Amber, who was from another country, just found solace in our house and we were able to lend that out. You never know that as you give out of your discomfort, as you move out of your comfort zone, the amount of people that are going to be blessed. The thing is, we live in a world where more equals better, where success equals favor and outward approval equals authority. We also live in a world where loss equals failure and humility equals powerlessness and kindness equals weakness. And yet, it's so interesting that those who are mega rich, mega successful, mega wealthy, so often say that it's not really all it's cracked up to be. Jim Carrey famously said that I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. In a world that is dominated by the pursuit of more, we so easily strive to get into a place of comfort and just think, I've done it, I've achieved it, I've got my job, got my family, got my house, got whatever it is. But the problem is when pain and suffering come, when tragedy and loss come, all that stuff just pales into insignificance. So when you feel comfortable, count the cost. The thing is, is true comfort, I think, comes at a cost. Because not only does that, that dream house cost a mortgage, it also costs anxiety. What happens when the pipes leak? I rent. I could just call up the landowner and they'll send someone over. When you, when you, when you own somewhere, it's your problem. But also when you buy that new settee and someone who you don't really like sits in your favourite chair. All the anxiety that goes around that pursuit of comfort when you think you've arrived at your dream job, it's probably cost you more than office hours. It's probably cost you cutting family holidays short. It's probably cost you time with friends. It's probably cost you compromise. Are you willing to count that cost simply for comfort? You probably know this, but most vicars, when they become vicars, they take a huge pay cut. I did not. Um, <laughs> I had been working at Morrison's. Then I was a waiter, um, and then I was, worked in a bar for a bit. Then I worked at a school as an after-school club teacher, whatever that meant. Um, and then I did ministry jobs, working for the church. So I've, I know what it is to live off the generosity of people. And when I moved to HDB to become a curate, the Church of England, what they do is they give you a budget to look for a place. And, and I found a place with a wine chiller. I don't even drink wine. Amazing. What's that for? Keeps my, keeps my Coca-Cola frosty. It's nice, it's nice. But my family come in, and when they come and visit us, they think I've got some side hustle going on. Because they're like, this is nice. But the thing is, we've got a nice room, we've got, we've got space to host, and we've got a spare room just in case. And, uh, but the thing is, is before then, and before living with those people who put me up for four years, I'd only ever lived on council estates. Before I became a Christian, that was because of force, because that's what we could 
Well, that's all we could imagine, uh, imagine doing. But then once I became a Christian, it was by choice. We decided that we'd move into council estates to be a positive environment, to, to, to try and be Jesus in those areas. And so when I moved to the leafy suburb of Wimbledon, um, I never imagined that there would be any danger, any discomfort. I was like, this is nice. Someone next to me is an orthopedic surgeon. The other person is an investment banker. I mean, their house is probably not filled with Ikea like ours is, but um, it's nice, it's nice. But then last October, we were burgled while we were asleep upstairs and someone came in and they took our car, they took my laptop, and they took my Xbox, guys. I mean, pure evil, pure <laughs> evil. But the thing is, is that the minute that happened, I went into panic zone. I went into my panic zone because my comfort was I thought everything was all right within these four walls. I went into panic zone, and what that meant is I would sleep on the sofa facing the front door just in case they tried to have another go. I was ready. But the thing is, is that the church, HDB, the, when, the, when some of the team found out, the, the response was overwhelming. So much so that we were able to recover everything financially as they reached into their comfort, became discomfortable for us so that we could, re we could redeem our comfort once more. Our lives were changed. It was amazing to see an outpouring like that. And then three months later, when a really good friend of mine, his car was broken into and a load of stuff stolen. He had left his laptop in there and some sound equipment and all sorts. It was all stolen. It didn't even cross our mind whether or not to help him out. So do you see, like in this parable, the landowner sends these workers to take, the Bible says, some of the fruit, not all of it. And it's not so God will just make a load of wine and just enjoy it himself, but it's so that he'll plant it again, therefore, in, therefore expanding the kingdom of God. And yet so often we hold on to our stuff and say, no, I've earned this. I've done it. I surrender some. You know, we just, like, we don't want to give it all. Do we want to give it all? Are we willing to count the cost? And when we feel comfortable, are we willing to hear God's words? When the landowner is sending the workers to collect the fruit, Jesus talking about here prophets past, those who bring challenge, those who bring correction, to say to the people of God, have you remembered your true calling to pursue justice and mercy, to, 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 to bring about freedom for captives, to set people free? Or is it just nice now we're part of a Sunday club where we can all high five and say, isn't God great? But yet the people of God are called to more than this. The thing is, so often I think when we feel challenged by God, when we feel the Holy Spirit nudge us, we can do two things. We can either go with it and step out of our comfort zone into potential growth, or we reject it. We throw it out. We forget it. We try and do something else. Charles Spurgeon, who's a preacher in the 1800s, says, if you reject Jesus, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. Now, those who know your Bible, you're probably thinking, but I know that God is the God of comfort. And yes, he is. You're totally right. Because... In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, it says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we, you and I, 
can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So even the comfort given by God is comfort that we're then to give away. When you feel comfortable, hear his words. It's a gift by our gracious Father who gives good gifts to all his children. What are we doing with giving it away? And when you feel comfortable, throw it all down. Jesus says, what's it meant by saying the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone whom, on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus here is predicting that only, not only will this happen physically in a few days' time, but that rejection will lead to him being the centre of all things. The cornerstone in architecture is the stone that's laid so that all other measurements are made by. Jesus saying that from now on, he is the one that sets the measurement for what it means to be successful, for what it means to have favour, for what it means to be blessed, for what it means to be holy, for what it means to be righteous. Jesus now sets that agenda. We fight in the shape of the one we follow. I love that film Braveheart. I don't know if you've seen it. But there's that wonderful scene that you'll all remember where William Wallace has got blue paint on his face and he's doing his final speech and he cries one word, which is... Freedom. Yeah, brilliant. Well done. Well done for the rest of you. Cheers. Um, I'll call on you for when I need a favour. Um, but he shouts freedom, doesn't he? And the thing is, is that his army would be under no, under no concern as to whether what William Wallace is shouting is true or not because he looks terrifying. So you're willing to go into battle after that one. You're willing to fight in the shape of him. And the thing is, the people of God are looking for a king that will take them out of Roman rule, that will bring in military might and overthrow this Roman rule, that will come in with the sound of drums, the sound of marching, and will turn over this place of oppression. And yet, what we find out next week, if you tune in, our king trots in on a donkey not to the sound of marching drums, but to the sound of hallelujah. Not with swords, but with love. Not with a crown of rubies, but eventually a crown of thorns. Not with a throne in a palace somewhere, but a throne shaped like a cross. If God went to the cross to be broken for the sake of us all, so we too learn that the way to follow is to be ready to give ourselves for the sake of one another. That is what the people of God have been called to do since the Garden of Eden. And it's never changed. Are we willing to, to give up our comfort for the sake of those who, are, who have no comfort? We're not simply saved from something, we're saved for something. Your life, your blessing, your favour, what you carry is a gift to the world. Not simply to be enjoyed by you and your family unit, but to be open, to be enlarged as you step into that growth zone. The thing is, Jesus was showing the world of his day what kind of a king he would be. And his body and blood eventually became for all, for us, freedom from fear, Freedom from pressure to pursue comfort over and above all else that, the, that our calling as the church of God has been. And the choice is ours. Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone to grow, to become the people of God that we've been called to be? Will we throw it all down? Will we hear his words? And will we count the cost that God's own son, given for all, 
given for you, given for me, will be our king. That's the king I want to fight in the shape of. And our response is a choice. Do you want him to be your king too? Do you want to fight in that shape too? Amen.